A friend of mine runs an amazing arcade about 40 minutes north of my house. Five bucks gets you in the door and you can play all you like. Real live vintage coin ops and consoles alike. When my life threw me for a loop at the end of 2015, I decided it was time to part with what had been, 10 years ago or so, a huge video game collection. And so, after an evening of loading everything from arcade marquees to Intellivision boxes to rare consoles and working computers into his impossibly small car, I watched my collection drive away. All of it at once. Except for one system and its cartridges. I had started with the Odyssey 2, and I was going to finish with the Odyssey 2. It has a unique place in my heart. I have most of the games still in their original boxes, and they were the same cartridges I had as a kid. That was my game. And this is its story. Ah, the late 70s and early 80s. The boom years of the video game industry. And my game system was the Magnavox Odyssey 2. Sleek, stylish, futuristic, and totally underappreciated. Let's change that. I'll dig through the Odyssey 2 library, introduce you to each game, offer a few of my own expanded memories of playing them back in the day, and we'll see if those games hold up today. I'm Earl Green, and this is Select Game. Welcome to Select Game. In case you hadn't guessed, this is a podcast about the Odyssey 2, but it's also a podcast about my personal Odyssey with the Odyssey 2. My name is Earl Green. I am a graphic designer by day, and I write books and a website and electronic magazines and all sorts of things by night. In fact, I've even done the cover art for a few Odyssey 2 homebrew games. Several years ago, I wrote and produced and edited a two-volume DVD collection called Phosphor Dot Fossils, which presents the history of video games in a timeline. This podcast is going to narrow in on one system, the Odyssey 2. In Europe, it was known as the Video Pack, or if you were in France, the Jopac computer. And in Brazil and South America, the Odyssey 2 was simply known as the Odyssey. My own history with video games began with Pong Sports 4 from Sears. My brother and I used to gather around the TV and just play this thing as if it had endless replay value. Um, little hint here, it was a Pong game and it didn't have endless replay value. But I was probably, oh, four years old. And so it was the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. I could control something on the TV. You had no idea how much of a novelty that was unless you were around at that time when video games were just emerging. Now, Pong Sports 4 eventually got put away, probably in the attic somewhere. I did actually come across it later, and it still works. But my love of video games was rekindled in the arcade, thanks to a little game called Space Invaders. Published in 1978 by Taito in Japan and brought to the U.S. by Midway, Space Invaders was a smash hit, although it was only a taste of how much of a smash hit an arcade game could be. My real love for video games set in in 1980, as it did with a lot of people, thanks to a little round yellow guy named Pac-Man. From 
Pac-Man, I went to Phoenix and Donkey Kong and occasionally Crazy Kong. There was a local arcade that was notorious for stocking up heavily on bootleg games. You had Crazy Kong, you had Popeye Pac-Man, you had Jungle King, which all of those were supposed to have been swapped out for Jungle Hunt boards because the original Tarzan Cry that was at the beginning of the game Jungle King got Taito in legal trouble with Hollywood and it had to be removed. These guys, they, they just didn't care. <laughs> they really didn't care if the game was above board or not. As my arcade addiction grew, so did the arcade. There were several arcades in my hometown of Fort Smith, Arkansas, and I liked to spend time at them all. And if I couldn't go to the arcade, well, that's okay. There were grocery stores that had you know, little arcades by the front door where they would have one machine there. That was enough. That was enough. And soon my mom complained that she was sinking more money into the games than she was able to spend on groceries. Bit of a problem. That was the rationale for getting a home video game system. Now at the time, the dominant home video game system was the Atari Video Computer System, also known as the Atari 2600. And I did eventually get one of these. And television was also available at the time. It was a bit more complex, the graphics were prettier. But there was one big problem. Actually, there were two big problems. If I was going to get one of these machines, it was going to have to be able to play some sort of educational games. Math was actually a weakness of mine in grade school, partially because of the problem, which still persists to this day, that it's, it's really hard to teach math in a way that kids understand how it applies to them. Algebra, I was never able to wrap my head around on paper. It'd stick me in front of a computer and tell me to program something in basic. All of a sudden, boom, I knew algebra like the back of my hand. I just didn't realize it. Neither did my teachers, and that's why I kept failing. The other criteria was that we were somehow going to have to land whatever new video game we were going to get at home pretty cheaply. This wasn't going to be an easy task because most video game consoles at the time, and really I think this persists to this day, hovered somewhere between the $150 and $200 mark if you bought them brand new in retail. Now, keeping in mind that this was 1980, we were also a year or two away from getting much more sophisticated systems such as the ColecoVision and the Atari 5200. There were even home computers by this point and I was really intrigued by that possibility but at the time a 64K home computer say an Apple II would run you about thousand dollars at least. Tack a monitor and a modem or any other accessories onto that any significant amount of software you're probably looking at a cool two grand and that just wasn't going to happen. This is how the family's quest for a video game console became a bit of a horse trade. Enter my Uncle James. Uncle James lived in Canadian Oklahoma and he had a video game that he was willing to trade us because he had bought it trying to be on the bleeding edge of technology and he just hadn't played it very much. There was just one catch though. Uncle James wanted something in return and you wouldn't think it would be that much of a back-breaking deal but in this case it was. In my dad's room at home was a liquor decanter, a ceramic liquor decanter, a very nice and expensive one, shaped like an Arkansas Razorback. And that's what Uncle James wanted in exchange for the Odyssey 2. We drove into Oklahoma to meet Uncle James at home to do the trade. My father was very reluctant to hand over his prized Arkansas Razorback, but I'm pretty sure that my mom 
put a, more than a small amount of pressure on him to go ahead and do this trade. What we were getting in return? Wow! This thing was sleek, and it was silver, and it was beautiful, and it was from the future. The keys didn't even stand up like the keyboard on a typewriter. It was flat. It was amazing. amazing. When I say that the Odyssey 2 looked like it was from the future, you have to understand, again, if you weren't alive during the 70s, let me fill you in on this. Everything was corduroy, every pants leg was flared, and the whole world was about three colors. Burnt ochre, this kind of dark orange that was almost brown, actual brown, and then this kind of piss yellow. And everything was wood grain. Here was something that was sleek and silver, not one sharp edge on it, clearly from the future. You know in A Christmas Story when he talks about the glow of electric sex in the window? This was like that. The keyboard, by the way, is something that I really never had a problem with. I know a lot of people have complained down through the years about the membrane keyboard. To be quite honest, in my experience, the Odyssey 2's membrane keyboard was much more forgiving and much more responsive than, say, the keyboard on an Atari 400 computer, which had a very similar interface. Since Uncle James had gotten his Odyssey 2 back when the machine had just been introduced, this Odyssey 2 still had detachable joysticks. Now, this is a big thing whenever you're collecting Odyssey 2. The older model machines have detachable joysticks that can be unplugged very much like the joysticks on an Atari 2600. The newer machines had joysticks permanently attached. The wire just went into the casing of the machine, and if you wanted them replaced, you had to do some major surgery to accomplish that. Any time I have ever had to replace an Odyssey 2, or any time that someone came to me and said, oh, hey, I hear you like Odyssey 2. I have a spare here. I honestly wouldn't bother unless it was the kind that had detachable joysticks. But it came at an unexpected price. There was one more thing that Uncle James wanted other than Dad's Arkansas Razorback liquor decanter. I had to say two dreaded words. Boomer sooner. <laughs> so I said it, and he duly handed over the game, and we were off. Thank you. So there we were, driving back home to Arkansas from central Oklahoma. I had my first home video game system, and this was going to be the end of me asking for money to play arcade games, right? Well, um, about that. No, no, not really at all. Anytime I went to Safeway, the screens of Pac-Man and Kangaroo beckoned. Anytime we went to Price Cutter, in order to avoid the lure of the games at Safeway, well, hey, look, they had just put in a Crazy Kong machine along with Phoenix and Mooncresta. More to the point, unlike the Atari, the Odyssey did not have home versions of these games from the arcade. Now, we'll touch on this in future installments, but it was a long time, a very long time, relatively speaking. Two whole years as the cow flies, or the crow, before the Odyssey 2 had arcade ports in its library. There was one occasion on which my mother's fears about me spending so much time playing arcade games and so much money was perhaps a little bit justified. On one occasion we went to Safeway and she gave me a dollar, and that was going to have to last me for her entire shopping trip. And I was to stay there and of course not speak to any strangers. The usual child safety rules. What made you think that I was going to leave a perfectly good kangaroo machine alone? And so naturally on this occasion, someone did come up to me as I was playing kangaroo, and they put a quarter up on the marquee. I'd never seen anyone do this before. 
Having no idea what this gesture meant, when my game ended, I grabbed the quarter and put it in the machine and kept playing. The guy just stared at me, like, what in the hell are you thinking, son? I had no idea that he was claiming the next play on that machine. I didn't know what it meant. I explained this to my mother later. I said, wow, this thing happened and I had no idea what it meant. Yeah, you just need to stay home and play more Odyssey 2. So now you know the story of how I came to be the proud owner of a shiny new, well, new to me, but virtually unused Odyssey 2 home video game console. In future installments of Select Game, I will be going through my library of Odyssey 2 games. And one of the reasons that, you know, about a year after finishing the escape pod, which was this grueling two-year process of completing 366 little tiny podcasts that had a lot of production in them. One of the only things that drew me back into podcasting was something that has a finish line, more or less. There is a, there is a finite point at which I could technically be finished with this project. Now, new homebrews do come out for the Odyssey 2, but at nowhere near the rate that they come out for machines like the Atari 2600. And that's fine. Even when I was a kid, any new Odyssey 2 game was an event. If we were suddenly deluged under a glut of new Odyssey 2 homebrew games or video pack homebrew games, because some of them come from Europe, it, it just wouldn't feel right somehow. Still, I will be covering usually at least two games, maybe three, on very rare occasions where something really merits that much focus or explanation, I will be covering one game. This won't really be a game-by-game -game podcast, such as my friend Ferg's excellent Atari 2600 game-by-game -game podcast, which I strongly recommend you check out. And one thing you'll notice as the podcast continues is that this isn't just a video game podcast. In a way, this is kind of a stealthy oral history of my family as we played it. Because back in the day, a lot of the Odyssey 2 games were strictly two-player. You could not play them one-player. It simply wasn't an option. To be quite honest, the machine didn't have enough RAM to handle a whole lot of AI. It was quite a while before the Odyssey 2 library was heavy on single-player games, and most of those fell under the banner of expanded memory games, which I'm assuming means they had an extra chip in there that could actually handle some enemy AI. Okay, so let's talk about the pack-in game that comes with the Odyssey 2. That was one of the three games that my uncle had in his possession whenever we did our trade. The pack-in game is actually a, a multi-game. It's a cartridge with three different games on it. Speedway, Spinout, and Cryptologic. Speedway, I'm going to press zero here to play it, is a, a what I would call a vertical racer. The, uh, the lines of the highway and the oncoming traffic scroll down from the top of the screen toward you. you have skill level, you can choose skill level one or two. And then you have to get the right joystick in your hand. And off you go. Ooh, that didn't work out well for me. <laughs> the cars come towards you in a semi-predictable pattern. It's kind of easy to uh, easy to judge where you need to dodge and stay out of harm's way. It's it's really kind of rare, especially I'm playing skill level one here. It's kind of rare for one to just come out of nowhere that you cannot avoid. It's really more of an endurance thing. You know, how long can you hold the action button down and keep dodging everything that comes at you? And you can get crazy with it if you like. It's a, it's a very simple game. 
But considering that it was 1979, the Atari 2600 was still in the process of gaining its foothold. Uh, this was pretty revolutionary stuff when the state of the art was basically Coleco Telstar, as far as most people were concerned. Oh, I crashed. Gonna reset now. Spin Out is a two-player only game in which you can choose a skill level between one and four. I'm going to choose one again. And there's a countdown clock and you're off. Basically, this is a very <laughs> low-octane version of the Atari arcade game Sprint. Hey, your car only moves so fast. You can press the action button and move faster but that makes the car much harder to control, as I just proved again. The object of the game is to try to reach a preset number of laps in the time allotted. In my case, especially since I'm only playing one, you know, basically one player. Three laps in one minute, yes, I won the game. Spin Out was nothing terribly revolutionary. There was a, a very similar game for it on the Atari 2600. And, of course, both the Odyssey 2 and Atari 2600 games took their cues from Sprint in the arcade. Cryptologic is a game where <laughs> you really have to use the honor system. You, you press four and two horizontal lines appear on the screen. You type something out. And the other player, really, the other player has to, has to be outside the room. This is kind of like playing hide-and-seek. There's, there's a game on the Atari 2600 called Sneak and Peek, which is basically hide-and-seek, and it operates on the same principle. The other player has to exit the room so you can hide your character. So I am going to, I'm going to type the logbook. Com. Oh, that's perfect. That fills that line. And I'm going to hit enter. At this point, the, the game scrambles the letters on screen. So where it said the logbook.com, it now says K-O-O-E-G-O-H-B-M-T dot O-C-L. It's, like it's like a URL in Russian. From here, it operates like hangman. Your other player comes back into the room and starts trying to figure out you know what the scrambled what the scrambled line of text is it's it gets much more interesting if you put spaces in there the other player starts trying to type in letters that he sees on the scrambled line if the if his guess is wrong the computer rejects that answer It's a very simple game. You know, this, this, is, this is not Mario Party. I, I'm going to be real honest with you. This is not Mario Party. But for 1979, for showcasing the abilities of a game that has both joysticks and keyboard, uh, Speedway Spinout Cryptologic is, it really is kind of a, a triple punch. In terms of replay value, it's extremely, exceedingly average. Of course, that was just the pack-in game. Once the pack-in game has demonstrated the capabilities of the console, you are then cordially invited to go out and buy more cartridges for your shiny new Odyssey 2. A lot of the launch titles available at the time, at the same time as the pack-in game, 
were sports titles. Many of them were programmed by Sam Overton, who was on staff at Magnavox and you know, later as Magnavox ceded to North American Phillips. Sam Overton was working at the Odyssey Video Game Group, and we will be talking more about his sports titles. As we get into games that have deeper replay value, the reviews will get longer. I just thought I would deal with the pack-in title first to, number one, to get it out of the way, because it's not the most, you know, once you have the rest of the Odyssey 2 library, Speedway Spinout Cryptologic is not the most earth-shattering game on the old cartridge shelf. Now, one one word about this game, and really all Odyssey 2 games, it comes in a really nice box. The Odyssey 2 games were more or less uniform in their packaging design. The boxes were black, and they were designed to be kept. Once you open an Atari 2600 box, it really was highly dependent on how you opened it as to whether you would ever get any use out of that box again. The Odyssey 2 games, the form factor of the packaging was like a little book. You open it up, there is a, not really a a pouch, sort of a pouch, inside the front cover. Now there is a printed part of the pouch that lists the other games available, and this actually gives us a clue as to what games were available at launch in 1979. It says, you are cordially invited to explore the entire galaxy of arcade sports and learning games now available for your Odyssey 2. They include football, baseball, bowling and basketball, and bowling and basketball were two titles on a single cartridge, Las Vegas Blackjack, Armored Encounter, and Subchase, another two-game cartridge there, Matchmaker, Buzzword, Logics, that was a three-title cartridge, three games on a single cartridge, and one more... One more twofer on a single cartridge, Mathematic and Echo. Now, it's, it's important to note that, at least early on, these inside front cover blurbs on the Odyssey 2 packaging did not distinguish single-game cartridges from multi-game cartridges. And in fact, nearly every cartridge that Magnavox and later Philips produced bears the legend on the front cover, Multi-Mode Game Cartridge by Magnavox. Which is true in some cases, and I'll say this about that. It's no less true than Atari's claim to have, you know, something like 88 video games on a single cartridge when it's all variations on one single unchanging theme. And it's basically... You're talking about levels of difficulty and different game parameters that can be switched on and off. So neither Magnavox nor Atari really wins truth in advertising prizes for 1979. Oh, it also says here, there's even an introduction to computer programming. That was a cartridge that uh, apparently that was available at launch, and we will cover that at a later date because it's it's a fascinating and somewhat obscure title. I'm not sure I ever really (laughs) got the full use of. You will find these Odyssey 2 games far more sophisticated than other home TV games and even most arcade games. Again, I'm quoting the inside front cover blurb printed on the pouch. They are fully computerized and have been designed to simulate reality to a truly remarkable degree. New Odyssey 2 games are constantly being developed. Visit your dealer often. Something new will always be on the way. Now inside the pouch, that this is printed on inside the front cover of the of the book style box 
there is the manual for the game, which bears the same art as the cover of the box. The box covers were almost all, back in the day, created by a marketing agency called Bradford and either Coot or Kout, I forget, I forget which pronunciation it was. It was C-O-U-T. The back cover is basically a blurb advertising the ultimate computer video game system by Magnavox. I'm not going to argue with that because this was about as good as Magnavox got in the video game business. So this is indeed the ultimate computer video game system by Magnavox. At any rate, the cartridge sits in a recessed space that is formed by folded glued cardboard, also you know, glossy black cardboard inside. And when I pull these games off the shelves and plug them into the console and play them, by the way, I'm, I am endeavoring everything that I play and that I record sounds for for this podcast will be played live you know, with an open mic on a real console in front of a real TV. Emulation has its uses, Emulation lets you play stuff that did not happen in your part of the world, did not get released. Emulation lets you play prototypes that have never been released. Emulation lets you play stuff that sells for ridiculous amounts of money that you never would have been able to get your hands on otherwise. I understand all that. But Odyssey 2 emulation, for some reason, as relatively primitive as the processor and the technology are, Odyssey 2 emulation has never really gotten the sound right. And that is one thing I'm really keen to to get correct here, is to get the sound right. The emulators just... I, I know what the thing is supposed to sound like, I'll put it that way, and the emulators just don't cut it. In future installments, as I get through more of the library and I wind up having to play a few things through emulation that never got released over here and have not been localized after the fact, I will let you know if I am playing on an emulator because, you know, that will that will be kind of a warning that maybe, just maybe, it's not quite, it doesn't quite sound like it's supposed to. Not that I would know otherwise, though, not having a cartridge. Anyway, back to the packaging. The packaging was very nice. It invited you basically to keep it. This was packaging that begged to be kept and begged to be kept in good shape. The cartridges, all of the ones made by Magnavox and all of the ones made by Parker Brothers as well, had this unique handle shape that made it a lot easier to put an Odyssey 2 cartridge in or out of the slot than, say, your average 2600 game. Anyway, the cartridges, once you take them out of the console, as I have, there's a recessed space for them in the back of the box. Ah, uh, here are some... <laughs> here are some bonuses that uh, <laughs> are pretty unique to this copy of the game. At some point, far back in the mists of ancient time, I cut an index card in half and taped it in here and it has high scores written on it. So in my household the high score on Speedway was 2,963 that was held by my older brother Sean. The high score for Spin Out (laughs) it's not possible to get more than 15 laps in that game and so here it says 15 usually me. Okay so um Boy, was I proud of that. And apparently, CryptoLogic, the record back in the day in my house, was a guess with only one missed letter. A correct, you know, correctly guessed phrase with only one missed letter. Apparently, my friend Kirk holds that score. 
I need to get on Facebook and remind him of that. He is the champion. That's Speedway Spinout and Crypto Logic for you. And that is it for this first installment of Select Game. I hope you like it. I hope that you feel like you've learned something from this. Like I said, the, the in-depth analysis of the games will get better as time goes on. The launch titles were exceedingly simplistic because that's really all they needed to be. And that's okay. I mean, we're talking 1979 here. Programming for the Odyssey 2 became much more sophisticated as time wore on. And even now, as homebrews are released, wow! It, you know, it's amazing what programmers are able to accomplish with this machine. It, they have far exceeded what the original programmers back in the day estimated the machine's abilities to be. They have gotten it to where it can do amazing things. And that's some of what we'll talk about. Because from where I was standing in 1980 or 81, this was an amazing machine. I finally had my own video game in the house, like so many of my friends did. I didn't care that we had had to do a weird trade to get it. That didn't faze me one bit. I didn't drink. I didn't care if there was a liquor decanter missing from the house or not. I still don't drink. I still don't care. <laughs> That's it for this first episode of Select Game. Feel free to drop me a line at earl at thelogbook.com. Hit me up on Twitter. I am Logbook Guy on Twitter. Or look up thelogbook.com on Facebook. Leave me some feedback there. And we hope you'll be back for the podcast with both the excitement of a game and the mind of a computer. A very low-powered computer, but we'll talk more about that later. That's all the time we have for the Select Game Podcast. You can hear Select Game on iTunes, Stitcher, and throwbacknetwork.net. And you can also subscribe through the RSS feed. You'll find the podcast itself and occasional goodies associated with it at www.thelogbook.com slash selectgame. If you really dig Select Game, also check out the 365-day-a-year escape pod geek history podcast at thelogbook.com. And donations toward the site's upkeep are always gladly accepted at PayPal, or via my Amazon wish lists. You can also support the podcast by buying select game t-shirts and other goodies at redbubble.com. Look under user the logbook. Phosphor.fossils, a comprehensive timeline of the golden era of video games, including the Odyssey 2, can be downloaded at thelogbook.com, which is also where you can find the books I've written about Doctor Who, Fork 1 and Fork 2. Feel free to drop me a line at the Facebook page for thelogbook.com, via Twitter at logbookguy, or email me at earl at thelogbook.com. Select Game Expanded Memories of the Odyssey 2 is a production of thelogbook.com and was written and produced by Earl Green. Music performed by Kasatochi, available for free download at thelogbook.com.